Welcome back to What's the Big Idea? Today on the show, we have Justin McLeod. And Justin is the founder of an incredible app that many of you have probably heard of called Hinge, which is one of the most popular dating apps on the planet. Uh, And Justin has an incredible story about the evolution of this company and how it has truly become a leader in the world of conscious technology, technology that is truly valuing uh, its users more so than its own growth and profits. And what we're going to talk about on this episode is really about addiction and addiction in all facets of life, but especially how prevalent it has become in the digital world. If you think about the idea of the architects of the digital universe, the people who are designing the technologies and interfaces that we engage with every single day, uh, so many of those companies are valuing metrics that are kind of opposed to your own well-being and happiness. How much time are you spending on the site? How often are you engaged? How frequently do you return to the site, regardless of whether or not you feel better if you spend more time on those sites? And so there is this inherent conflict between the value for a user and the value to the companies that we are engaging with. And Justin has this remarkable story about overcoming addiction in his own life and how that influenced to his own kind of modus operandi as a CEO, as uh, a tech entrepreneur. And so this one is, is super fascinating for anyone that finds himself, you know, oftentimes using technology in these ways that are not optimal for your well-being, picking up your phone when you don't mean to, you know, reaching for uh, a phone while you're at a dinner table, whatever that might be. And we talk not only about some of the systematic shifts that are happening, but what are the practical tools and mindsets that allow us to ultimately be more conscious with how we are using technology and reclaim more freedom of just the ability to decide what we want to do and how we want to do it. So without further ado, here is Justin McLeod. And again, if you've been enjoying What's the Big Idea, take a moment after you listen to head over to our iTunes page on Spotify, Google Play, wherever you might be listening and drop us a review. We love doing this show and we want to share it with more people. So anytime you can take to drop a review, share this out with your friends is greatly appreciated. Without further ado, Justin McLeod. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to What's the Big Idea? I'm sitting here with Justin McLeod. Justin, how are we doing? I'm great. How are you? Well, actually, I mean, can I say how you're really doing? Well, okay. Yeah, fair enough. I'm so, I guess I just say great, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a little under the weather. I feel like I've had this uh, month-long sickness and I'm have like I think a migraine coming on but it, other than that I just I'm think great emotionally I, and spiritually I'm great yeah I feel I feel all of it it's funny though how how are you great yeah I feel like great at, at men's retreats and we run with Junto I always tell people that like great is not allowed because mm. that's that's like the de facto response to how are you feeling great yeah I'm feeling a bit tired a little under the weather but also uh, excited to have this conversation. Yeah, as as am I. So in your world right now, what is it that you find yourself being most excited about? Um, I think it's 
it's really getting clarity on, you know, Hinge is at this really interesting inflection point right now. And we're really starting to grow, really starting to go global. And at the same time, I'm really getting clarity on what makes Hinge unique, which is the fact that we really design the product around what people came to us for, which is to get off the app and out on great dates. Yeah. And just realizing what an important, while that seems sort of simple and obvious, um, the how actually important the, the business model that we're trying to prove out is, is that you can actually build a successful social media company that's designed around your customer's deepest need and not around like getting them to stare at ad impressions. And, and, and so, and I want to start actually with just a little more detail about Hinge. So I will have told people a little bit about it in the intro, but you know, for, for you, where did the inspiration for Hinge first come from and what is that company to you? Well, originally, I mean, it's evolved so much because I started in 2011 before dating apps were a thing. And I mean, really the original inspiration is I wanted a girlfriend and <laughs> I didn't want to use the other apps that were out there at the time, or there weren't even apps. It was, you know, dating websites. And, um, I was at business school and I stopped drinking and when I graduated college. And so business school is like this very like party scene kind of thing. And I was just struggling to, to really like meet or connect with people. And so I, um, actually I reached out to my college girlfriend to try to get back together with her. Um, cause I was still pretty in love with her and, uh, and she sort of told me to go shove it and I was heartbroken. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'll just build this like an app that, you know, and at the time, you know, Facebook had come along, mobile had come along. And so the idea was build this like really simple mobile first dating experience. Um, and this was 2011. So there that you was go. kind of the original, original concept and Cre creating a dating site that was, you wouldn't be sort of like embarrassed to sign up for. Totally. And, and what would you say was kind of the inflection point where hinge kind of started to take shape into what it is today when you became clear and kind of like the mission as it stands today? That happened in 2016 basically. Oh, wow. And yeah. so the, you know, Hinge had, we struggled to sort of get off the ground in the beginning. And then some of the other dating apps started to to come on the scene. Um, but those were owned by other like big conglomerates. So no yeah. one like venture capitalists could invest in those. Mm -hmm. And so they invested in, so they like we funneled money to us. We we're like turning money away. And, uh, and so we had like a nice big rise up through 2014. And then, and what does a big rise look like just to put it in perspective for people? Uh, I mean, we were pretty, it was like Tinder and hinge, right. And Tinder was sort of the, um, they were definitely bigger, but they were also kind of like the, we were known as like classy Tinder, right? Like we were known as like, <laughs> you know, if you were, cause we were friends of friends. And so it was sort of, you'd act the way that you would at a house party or a, or a dinner party or a wedding as opposed to like a club. Yeah. And so that was kind of the, just where we were and then then you know other apps started to come along and and we were just like not that like tinder was huge and and um and like the the company we were starting to stagnate in terms of user growth um and still growing but just like just ultimately it wasn't the company that i wanted to build because on the one hand we weren't like that different we were just another app where you swipe people left and right we were just friends of friends and so that wasn't that exciting to me. But even more important to me was that we um, just didn't 
like we, we really wanted people to have like meaningful connections and it just felt like the app was just not designed for that. The, this big Vanity Fair article came out called um, like the dating apocalypse and it was all about how like dating apps had ruined society and dating and chivalry and everything. And, and I was like, man, this really isn't the app that I, I wanted to, to create or the world that I wanted to create. So yeah. Uh, I went to my team and I was like, listen, I really, I went to my board as well. And I was like, listen, I know we raised, just raised a whole bunch of money and like things are going pretty well, but, um, I basically want to like tear down at like everything, the code base. I want to let go of half the team and like restart from scratch and imagine what the app would look like if we were really designed around people who are looking for something meaningful and long-term. Hmm. And so that's what we did. And it was also a big shift because we got clarity around, you know, we were chasing like engagement and growth and all those numbers that you would chase. And instead of that, we sort of made the long-term bet that we would just focus on the number of great dates that we were sending our users out on each week and maximizing that. And uh, hopefully success would follow from that. And it was kind of a long-term bet. But that's that was like 2015 is when I decided to tear everything down at the very end of the year. And then 2016 was like we were just kind of in the lab figuring it out, trying to build a... Um, a new service and we released at the end of 2016. And so tell me about as you're going to your board and how many people did you have employed at that point? Uh, we were just about 30 people. So we 30 were people, huge. but yeah. still, but still a big team. And so what did it feel like to put that forth and actually tell your entire team that we're going to go in a different direction? Like what was like, if you were to take us back into like one of the scariest moments from that time? Yeah. What, it, I mean, it was the, it was definitely the night before in the morning of, telling the team and because you know you have to look at a bunch of people and let them know that this is their last day and we're moving on as a company and because on the one hand like it felt really clear to me that this is where the company had to go yeah at the theoretical level but then at the practical level of like having to do the thing you know because it was definitely on the one there were definitely investors and board members who were like, listen, you've got a big user base. You're not monetizing yet. Why don't you just start making money? Like we can, we can evolve this and we can just keep pushing this forward. You don't need to just like tear everything down and start from scratch. But, um, I really felt that we did. <laughs> I really felt like from the team, from the code base, like everything just was going to be in a different trajectory. And it, and like, if we use that legacy, we would all be tied to like our legacy vision and, so you know what's funny is I was in the Hinge office right as you were, I don't even know if you know this, but I was in the Hinge office, which was somewhere, where was it? It was like near, like Flatiron? It was in Flatiron, Flatiron. like 20th and 5th or 21st and 5th. Yeah. So I had talked to someone who was on your communications team who had reached out and was talking about like a tribute integration for like Valentine's Day marketing or something like that. And so I just went on like this exploratory meeting. But when I got into the office, like it was just, fucking tense man and i and i think i saw like the video that you guys had created was it like someone at like a carnival or something like that that was oh like, yeah, yeah yeah so that was like right in the middle of us doing the reboot so that was 2016 okay yeah yeah so, but i remember that but it was like and as he explained it to me like that there was like this big transformation happening and um but i remember being there and seeing you and you were just, I wanted to meet you, but you were just, I remember like seeing you walk through the office, just like a man on a mission. And I was like, he, he looks busy. I'm yeah. Do that, that was a really intense time because we, you know, I said that we were going to tear it down and rebuild it from scratch, but I didn't know what we were going to build. <laughs> you know, I like, I had some principles that I wanted to use going forward, but 
um, I didn't have a clear vision of what it was. And it really felt like Moses leading people around the desert for, <laughs> for a year because it was like, well, where, like, where are we going? Is there really an answer here? Like, is, is, is the only way to, to like build a dating app to, to use this like swipe left, right method. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that was an intense time. And we've sort of like just got out under like under the wire and, and it, that, I mean, that was, that was definitely like when a did, tough time. When did you know that it was working? Uh, is it working? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's working. I know. No, I think it's working now. I, uh, it was, it's, <laughs> It really started to take off, I think. So when we when we first launched the new version, yeah. it was like not doing well. Like we, it, it was just a lot of new, it was, you know, it was just a lot of new pieces all at once that we're trying to like fly this airplane with like redesigning like the wings and the nose and like all, you know, the business model and all these different pieces of it all at once. Yeah. And so like it, out of the gate, it looked like it was headed for a nosedive. Yeah. And, but we just like, in midair like started fixing things really really urgently and it started to like turn around and then i would say around june of 2018 i think yeah it really started to to hit and i think that just the cultural moment of people really realizing that the that um you know the existing dating apps just weren't weren't for them and just like we'd really started to to hit it and finally like we'd engineered a product that really felt like it worked really well and people loved it and we're telling their friends and it's just been gangbusters since then and so if you were to articulate like why you care so much about this company at this moment in time what is that i mean gosh it's it is my baby at this point in so many ways but i just you know the big reason that i i tore it down in 2014 2015 was that i just felt like if hinge disappeared tomorrow no one would care like we're just another dating app like mm. people would just go to the other ones like it wouldn't matter and today i feel like people would really miss it because it really is offering something that's different and it just has a different heart and a different ethos and and i think that flows through the design and there's not an easy gimmick to be like oh it's you know this these people talk first or it's for only people like this it's not a it's not a gimmick like that we we say we're designed to be deleted because it's like 10,000 little things that we do that all work together to really make it feel like it's designed for people who want to get off dating apps and um and I'm just proud that like we've made that bet and we've made it work and it's really it's it's just really cool to see in the world and you and you made that bet you know, fortuitously before there was a lot of visibility for some of the issues with technology, with addiction, with so many other issues in terms of like political polarization. And so, you know, now we're in a time where I'm curious, like when you made this decision and what you really kind of, what you said that spoke to me was again, it's like, we made a decision that we're going to look at like a couple of dates and like, what is the real value to the person who's on the site? Mm-hmm. versus like a bunch of matches versus like a date, an actual partner, a marriage and what's most valuable to them. And so I'm curious, like what insight has proven most kind of insightful and that you wish more people knew about user behavior and how people are interacting online that they might not know. Um, I guess what people don't 
know or what I think is just so when when you really like zoom out and realize how crazy it is is that a lot and like let's let's like leave dating aside for a second because sure. I actually think even the other dating apps are like the 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 least <laughs> of the offenders on this front right it's yeah. really the ad driven social media models the dating apps really most of them you still pay for yeah. like you are the customer you pay the the free social media news whatever uh, services that we use out there um you think that they are theoretically like you think news is designed to inform you you would think social media is designed to help you feel connected to your friends but it's not like when if you were to like sit in on a product meeting at you know instagram or like they're not being like ooh, like how do we make our users feel more like like a, they have more belonging and feel more connected to their friends they're figuring out like how do we like pump engagement how do we get people to like spend more views like how do we insert more ads without turning people off like how do we make sure that if someone hasn't logged in in the last day like how do we get them to log in again and it's just so it's it's this like one decision that you make at the beginning, which is like, what are we going to measure towards? Are we going to measure towards like engagement and growth? Are we going to measure towards like fulfilling the, the person's need who came here? And that just leads to the ramifications of like, it's just, it's unfathomable. I don't even know exactly what social media would look like if it were designed to help us feel connected, but it certainly wouldn't look like it does right now. Um, I don't know what news would look like if it were actually designed to inform us, but it certainly wouldn't look like you know, it does right now. Yeah. And, um, it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating to, to see. And I, and I, and I think that there's, I, it's just, it's such a tragedy to imagine like all these engineering minds and product minds out there who are really smart and could do such amazing things in the world, but they're focused on these, like these, these crazy metrics, which have, I, I think people imagine that's like an, the market is a, we'll say amoral, right? Not immoral, but amoral. Um, but I, I think it's there is a lot of moral decisions that get made that we don't frame as moral decisions, but should be framed as moral decisions. Give me an example. Well, that I mean that right there. People, yeah. I don't think people um, people just think, well, if people are willing to use our service, then uh, you know, then that's their free will decision, and so we're giving them what they want, and this is what they want, and uh, they want, you know, outrageous headlines about, you know, the who said what about Trump today? And they want uh, more photos of filtered hot people. Like, this is, this is what they want. And so we should just give it to them. And um, I'm not sure that that is, uh, I think the, while that made, like, sound right, um, it, like, given that little, if you look at it that narrowly, if you look at the, over like the the overarching ramifications of what that's doing to us as a society with political polarization of news or what that's doing to us as individuals with social media and making us feel lonely and disconnected and feeling like everyone's having a better time than us and that we're alone it's it's really sad and, and crazy yeah so and so i'm curious on the individual level and then as ceo of a growing company like what is the responsibility of the company so if you were to kind of break down those two things what is the responsibility of the users who are opting into these platforms, you know, of their free will? And what is the responsibility of the companies who are creating these products that are having detrimental results or impact on their end users? Yeah. I mean, as users, I think we have to, or as people, 
um, customers <laughs> instead of users. It felt really uh, gross when you said users. And yeah, it's like, users. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, it's even crazy. You know, like I, someone once told me that like um, the only other industry that calls their customers users is the you know drugs. Totally. Right? <laughs> like, like uh, but. Um, so I think we as individuals like have to be more diligent because we're like the companies aren't going to, aren't going to do it for us. Um, but that said, I do think that, um, companies, I, I, I don't know if companies are going to do this, but like helping us, we have to understand, I think like who their true customer is, right? If you're an ad driven business model, your customer is the advertisers and your product is the users and people don't understand that they're the product they don't understand that they're being monetized can you say that one more time because it's just such an important distinction to understand like even and we'll just speak like practically where most people are like if you're on facebook or instagram can you say it one more time well the people who pay the money are the are are the customers period right so on facebook like you're not paying the money right like the advertisers are paying the money which means that facebook exists to serve the advertisers and they are harvesting your attention and time and selling it to advertisers like that is that is the business model and um and we don't understand that we think like oh facebook is this like great service that like gives us me free access to my friends and my photos and um not oh facebook is time and attention harvesters that sell like that that steal as much as my time as they possibly can and sell it to the highest bidder and but that i mean that's what it is so i i uh, there's actually, I think, legislation that someone proposed right now, which would be amazing. To, like when you sign up for a free service, they have to tell you how much money they're making off of you and like from whom. <laughs> and, you know, like that would definitely start to wake some people up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when it comes to the the individual, because you said it's like we have to become kind of like aware when mm-hmm. we have to kind of like what what are the actual like what does it look like to become educated and to understand these things? But then what can you actually do as an individual to actually kind of like, you know, move these things forward? And it's like, yeah, what do you what do you wish people knew and what do you wish that they could do proactively? Um, I mean, for me, it's it's a really complex question because it's because these apps are so integrated into our lives now that I think some of the things that I would suggest and the things that I practice sound like extreme and crazy when in fact I don't think they're extreme and crazy. Like I don't engage with social media. Like I don't really use it. Um, I text with my friends. I see my friends uh, in real life a lot, but I don't engage in social media. I mean, and I'm a you know recovering uh, drug addict and alcoholic, and like you're talking to someone who could put down and stop using like cocaine and alcohol and <laughs> drugs and, and, and all this stuff. But I like literally am not powerful enough to not like become addicted to hmm. uh, Instagram if I were to use it. And I've tried it, right? I've tried it. And I, and I, and then I like worry about like which photo I'm going to post and what I'm going to say. And then I post it and then people like, like it. And I keep looking and I checking back <laughs> to see like who liked it. And, and it's just like that, that whole cycle. And then I'm like, is, what is this about? Like, what am I actually doing? Am I like connecting with people or am I just trying to get like validation? Am I just trying to make myself like feel okay? And is this making me feel okay? Or is it making me feel worse? Is it making me feel more anxious? And it's always making me more feel more anxious. So, I mean, it's a really big and complex topic that I'm, I'm actually happy to, to dig into, but I really see the same factors that cause addiction among alcoholics and drug addicts that are now causing addiction to tech. 
And I think it's not a small isolated problem with like the occasional person who's just like completely addicted to gaming and in there 20 hours a day. It's really affecting a large swath of the population. I don't know exactly what, but yeah. definitely more than 20%, maybe a majority. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really scary what's happening. And how does your own experience with addiction parlay into how much you care about this issue now as a CEO, as a citizen? Just because I see, you know, in my, my view of um, what addiction is, I mean, addiction is basically uh, habitual behaviors that relieve you from uncomfortable sensations and feelings that are not in line with you, the behaviors that are not in line, I think, with your long-term values and goals. And so in my mind, the the opposite of addiction is is freedom. And I think the that's kind of what I learned is that when I was an addict, my world was very small um, and I was in a prison, a prison that I didn't even understand because the walls had become my life. And I, th I viewed them just as like the boundaries of, of life, like my very small, tiny little world. And uh, and I, as I went through the recovery process and freed myself from addiction, I like realized my world was so much bigger and I, and I like was so much happier and I was able to actually do the things that I wanted to do, not just dream about the things that I wanted to do. Well, I'm, I'm curious because <laughs> to say when I went through addiction and freed myself from it, it feels like there's a lot in that statement. And so I'm curious if we were just to extrapolate on some of the moments that were most important for you to win back your freedom yeah. to to transcend you know your addiction and you've been sober now for for how many years um well so interestingly i so i stopped drinking i completely was like no drinking no drugs for 10 years yeah um and then after 10 years i got into a place where i felt comfortable that it just it wasn't in me anymore that pull yeah and so um so i experimented with like having a drink and like found that it, in fact, it was like not there anymore, which I, I'm really wary of talking about because I just imagine people in AA was listening to that and being like, oh, like maybe I should go try a drink. And like, I do not recommend that. Like I, I went through so much of like, um, of mindfulness practices and like a lot of exploration, a lot of reading, a lot of like experimenting with like detoxing myself from like, I mean, I was celibate for four years. I mean, I just did like a lot of, of stuff to get to the point that I think I got to. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, so I, I'm just, I just, I appreciate, I, I appreciate the call. I caveat for sure. that. But what I learned, my view of addiction now is basically that I don't think that, um, yeah, you know, I think that addiction is a, actually a, a relatively, human and almost healthy uh, sort of reaction to a very unhealthy environment. I don't, I'm not sure that it's this like brain, like peculiar brain disease that is just with you forever. Like, I don't think that's my view based on what I've seen uh, in my own personal experience with addiction. It's very um, circumstantial based on your environment. And when people are isolated and lonely when they're bored, when they're stressed, when they are um, subjected to highly overstimulating experiences, when they don't have a clear sense of their values and what's important to them, uh, and when they don't, when they have a highly reactive uh, mind without a mindfulness practice, that is like the recipe for an addict. 
And unfortunately, I think the world that we're living in is basically like all of those, like literally the whole world is experiencing all of those factors to a greater and greater and greater degree. And that's why I think we're all gravitating towards every time we're alone for two seconds in a bathroom line or in the subway or whatever, we've got to like pull out our phones and like distract ourselves from the bad feelings that are starting to arise in us of like, Ooh, I don't feel okay right now. And so that is why I'm like concerned and thinking about this a lot. Yeah, totally. And I'm, and I'm still curious if we go back to, because it, it feels like when you identify so many of the issues that cultivate addiction, that in there you probably also identify a lot of the solutions that you know that we want to try and create the the container that we want to try and create for healthy behavior so in your own addiction journey if you're going through it were there things that you did personally that really started to push you into a healthy place or was there kind of if you're looking back like pivotal moments where you felt yourself you know, when you talk about having the drink for the first time, it's like, it just wasn't there. Yeah. And so I'm curious if you, if you go back into that journey, um, what, what stands out to you as kind of some of those transformative moments where you felt yourself kind of shift from one way of being into another? Um, I'm not sure there were like these like pivotal, like lightning flash moments. It was all very a process, gradual and a process. But I think the things that I did differently were, um, one is I wasn't content to just replace my addiction to drugs and alcohol with other like less harmful things. Um, I think that a lot of people are very content to be like, okay, I don't drink or do drugs anymore. So it's fine if I like smoke cigarettes all the time and drink like tons of caffeine and don't eat super healthy and all of that because at least I'm not like drinking, doing drugs. And those become re the replacement behaviors for when I'm having a bad feeling, I need to distract myself to get relief from that. I eat comfort food or I grab a coffee or I whatever. And so I would just start cutting the next thing that I found myself gravitating to. Mm. So once I cut drugs and alcohol, I was like, ooh, like gravitating towards sugar and like cut sugar. And I'm like, ooh, I'm gravitating towards cigarettes and like cut cigarettes. And just like, um, it's like cleaning your room you know you start with like the all this picking up the giant things on the floor and then pretty soon you're like dusting between the, you know detailing the crevices <laughs> of your, and um and so that kind of started me on the journey and like a big piece of then i found like in order for me to actually accomplish that and not the next time i had a sugar craving like just like run and like grab an ice cream from somewhere was i started to develop like a mindfulness practice and meditation practice so that i could really step back and when i saw those like uncomfortable feelings arise learning how to just like sit with them and like let whatever come up needed to come up and sometimes it was just like anger and sometimes it was sadness and like but these are all these things that I was running away from for a long time so like letting those start to like process and like come out of me um there was um the process of like uh really then when you when you stop distracting yourself and you have to just like sit there like mindfulness is one piece of that but then also you start to get this itch to like do something like you want to do something with your life and then so you so I started to get like throw myself into work and then that got me into Harvard Business School and then like I want to start a company <laughs> and that's but like getting clear on like what was important to me and what my values were and realizing like how do I actually want to spend my time do I want to spend my time like distracted like chilling out like binging on Netflix or do I want to like how am I going to feel at the end of that versus what if I did this what if I threw myself into these other things? And so it's just like 
I could, I could like keep going, you know, and then it went deepened into like, you know, doing 10 day meditation retreats and like my, you know, celibacy for four years. I mean, it's just like, there was a lot of pieces to it for me to like keep unpacking and digging and understanding like what was going on and learning how to sit with uncomfortable situations and filling my life back up with things that would keep me from being bored or stressed or lonely. Yeah. And so it was like, it was a, it's a multi, multi pronged approach. Yeah. You know, I want to like, oftentimes in the show, I like to like revisit things that guests say just to kind of emphasize some people that are listening. I think one of the things that you said that really resonated is I did some work with a, a harm reduction therapist in New York and he introduced me to the concept of urge surfing. Have you ever heard of that before? Mm-mm. And so he does a lot of work with, um, with addicts and what you talked about as kind of mindfulness is urge surfing is kind of an iteration of that. But the idea of giving people the tools and the capacity and the space to just become present to whatever the emotion is that they're, they're feeling and the ability to, to ride that wave of like giving them the kind of like the, the communication tools to express whatever's coming up to allow themselves to ride it as opposed to escape it. Mm -hmm. And like, even just that understanding of, like the Gabor Mate is a great uh, distinction of addiction of like that addiction is not the the problem. It is the solution to a problem. Yes. And just allowing ourselves just the, the moment to be with that discomfort, to identify it, to really understand that, that that is the problem, which is like a similar distinction as you talk about with using something like Facebook or Instagram. If like you are not the customer, the customer is someone else. It's like, it's just here. It's like, if you are addicted and so many of us are like for me of like, I, I want a coffee in the morning every single morning. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I'm addicted to it. What's the sensation that it comes up in me that I want to escape with, yeah. you know, a stimulant that's right there. Like when I look at, I'm so aware of even like with social media because of some of these mindfulness practices of like, when I look at my phone after I post something incessantly, like what's the, what's the sensation or the feeling in me and it's like, I know that when I'm really focused or diving into hard work that I want to pull up my phone more. Mm-hmm. It's it's yes. like when I am feeling insignificant or maybe disconnected, like getting that little hit of dopamine of opening it up is like is a, a welcome kind of escape from that that present moment experience. And so I think I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts about just kind of like the the role of self and identity and being like the capacity to be with oneself in this process of, I think you talked about it as like values, knowing who you are maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really important piece of it because, um, I think a lot of people these days when I try to, um, maybe point out, and that's what, that's what I meant earlier when I said that the, like my world had become very small and I didn't even view a world outside of that is I think a lot of people wouldn't even view their incessant, technology use as an issue because I think they would be in line with maybe they're like, they don't have any values that would indicate that this was a problem because they don't even know what true connection and belonging feels like because to them connection and belonging is, you know, getting 37 likes on, I don't know, 30, 370, I don't whatever, <laughs> whatever the right number of likes to get on your post these days is. 3,700 likes on your like last post. And that's like to them connection and belonging and they don't even understand it. And that's, and similar to me, like when I was drinking and doing drugs, I would have defined like going out and partying as connection and belonging. And I was so disc, you know, in retrospect, I was so disconnected because I had no sense of what it really meant to be intimate with someone and to like see and be seen in your like true authentic and whole self. 
I just knew what it like for people to like cheer you on while you did a keg stand. And like, to <laughs> me, like that was like connection and belonging. So, uh, that I think is one of the most like, um, insidious parts of this is that it has, it's a feedback loop. And as you start using these things, it starts changing your identity and your values. Um, and you don't even have a sense of what, what you're missing, honestly. Yeah, totally. It, it, it reminds me of another, another thing I've talked about on the show before, but this idea of, um, James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And that's a great, that's actually a really great book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good book. Every time I bring it up, everyone's like, that's an awesome book. It's an awesome book. Um, so the identity model change of like talking about the role of identity of kind of having a deep fundamental understanding of who we are. I think values is a really kind of practical tool to do that, but how, if we want to establish new behaviors, so we could talk about that in the realm of, you know, substance abuse, we could talk about it in the realm of tech abuse and, and addiction, but that if we have a goal, which is I am not going to check Instagram more than twice a day, there's my goal. And then if I want to maybe like cut down my alcohol consumption, I'm only going to drink once a week. So there's my results that I want. That's step one of the equation. Then I would say, okay, step two is now I think about the behavior. So if I only want to check Instagram twice a day, I'm going to put my phone in a lockbox and I'm going to put it in there like every single day between morning and night. And that's all I'm going to do. And then for alcohol consumption, it's like, I'm not going to buy alcohol. So I have all these plans about the actions I can take to achieve my results. But what people oftentimes don't grapple with is like what we're talking about right now is identity. And one of the quotes that that's always kind of stayed with me is the idea that who we think we are impacts what we do. And for so many of us, we don't have a well-articulated understanding or definition of who am I? What, yeah. do, what do I stand for? What's important to me? And that's even like next level. I mean, I think a lot of people don't even have clear understanding of what their, what their goals are, right? Yeah. Like they don't, um, and I didn't, right? I didn't have a clear understanding. I just like, I wasn't thinking for like very far in the future. And I think that's a lot of times what, the habitual patterns of addiction do to us is they like keep us, they like make our, again, our time horizon of what, of how we're thinking about the future and things that we want to do just get smaller and smaller and smaller until we're really just worried about like what we're going to do tonight and what we're going to do tomorrow. What was your definition of addiction again? Uh, my definition is habitual behaviors that relieve us from un like unpleasant sensations that are not in line with our values and goals. Yeah. And, and, you know, so are you addicted to coffee because you have one coffee in the morning? Like, I don't know. Is that really against your values and goals? Like, you know, I think we have all kinds of habitual behaviors that relieve us from unpleasant sensations. Eating to like relieve hunger is, is, is like, you know, habitual behavior that relieves you from unpleasant sensations, but it's not totally it's not misaligned. It's in, like, I, as I would think about it, I would just think about it as it probably more along lines of like a habit, but also just looking at like my values of like agency and like freedom and understanding that there's a part of me that like needs that caffeine to feel the way that I want to feel in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so while, you know, I've, I've accepted it for the most part, but even right now, like I'm in the phase of like, I was having two coffees a day mm -hmm. for November and December to close out the year and like close everything I would tribute. And then January I was like, I'm only having one coffee a day. Yeah. Cause it, it was slippery slow. It can be a slippery yeah, slope. For no, sure. Absolutely. And so, you know, I'm curious about, you you mentioned a word that kind of triggered me off there about understanding um, intimacy. And even when you talked about Hinge and one of your goals, 
you talked about the idea of, of meaningful connection and that being kind of an anchor into what it is you wanted to create. And so you talked about some of the, the surface level type of connection, whether through a keg stand or going on partying that you were seeking earlier in life. And I'm curious how your understanding of that has evolved as a husband, as a father, and how that impacts you know what you're doing in the world with Hinge. Yeah, I think I think about it as the dichotomy of of validation and connection, right? And I think that those are we a lot of times we accept the junk food of validation um, instead of the healthy, nutritious connection mm. that I think we're really actually looking for. And so I think validation is is the keg stand, and everyone like everyone cheering you on as you do a keg stand. That's the same as people like throwing you likes on your Instagram posts. Like the keg stand is not an authentic like relating and or expression of my true self and they're cheering for me is not an authentic seeing of my true self like it's just me like throwing an image out into the world and everyone else like throwing cheers at that and that makes me like feel good for a minute until I like woke, wake up hungover the next morning and realize none of these people would show up for me if I actually like had a real problem or, yeah. no, or know me or anything and that that's like the the world that we live on on Instagram for most people, right? You show you throw up a projected, fake version of yourself that makes people think that your life is so awesome and so cool. And I mean, I was literally at a restaurant recently where this couple was like having this like bitter fight next to me, and they were so angry. And then she like pulled out her phone. She's like, "Oh, can we do an Instagram?" And they like smiled <laughs> and they like took a picture of themselves and she like posted it. And I mean, like that is like that's so crazy and. Um, and I think that that is, like I said, the junk food validation that people can live on their whole lives, but they'll feel like sick and bloated because they're not actually relating and they're not feeling connected and they're not getting stress relief and they're not feeling, um, any less isolated, frankly. And, um, what? and, and I think connection is, is exactly the opposite of that. It's the, it's letting someone in to like see the real, what's happening with you really i mean it's 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 the very first line of our conversation when you asked how i was and i just said great and what i really should have said was like i'm like feeling a little crappy and tired and like i have a headache which um, he did off air for the yeah for the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and so when you think about this because i'm curious because you've done it at such a high level of setting parameters for a product mm. that facilitates meaningful connection. And so I'm curious um, what those have been in the app, but then also what you feel those are offline of like what, like, so when you define meaningful connection, which you've kind of had to for the app, like then how do you think about how people really create that? Mm. You know, and cause I'm curious because I've, I've been with Mickey for eight years, so I have not been a hinge yeah, user. You're not a online dating user. Although I do, I do love when my friends come over with their dating apps and I get to play with their profiles because that's the closest that I've ever got to actually using them. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I have, I have created and cultivated a few hinge profiles in my day, but so what are like, what are the things that you do and that you think people do kind of online and offline that, facilitate meaningful connection versus the junk food validation we um it really goes down back to the to the like the core model so and this is where we get in design to be deleted because it's it's not super simple but i'll walk you through it um one is that the profiles have um 
uh, not just photos, but also prompts. And we've optimized these prompts, which are short questions designed to get you into a conversation. We've optimized them over time to figure out like which ones actually lead to dates. And surprise, surprise, things that are really superficial, like my go-to karaoke song, aren't good at actually leading to dates, but things that I'm like that matter to me in a relationship, things I'm looking for in a plus one wedding date, um, two truths and a lie, things that are a little bit more like ask you to reveal a little bit more about yourself than you would just to like look cool. Yeah. Really actually work. So those prompts are great. We've actually just added uh, photo prompts as well. So we, we actually prompt you to be like, to, to put up certain types of photos of yourself that mm. will help people connect. The next layer of that is that instead of just when you like someone swiping their whole profile just like left or right in a sort of mindless way, you actually choose and engage in a particular piece of content on their profile. So we start to learn. Um, uh, um, so as you like, so as you do that, it's just like every single like is unique. Like they're liking something specific about you. They're adding a comment to it. That gets the conversation going. Um, and that makes people way more selective. So when people actually have to choose something, you know, in a, in a row versus like just swipe people left and right, they get way more selective. That make, that's gives us much better data for our machine learning algorithms. I can learn your taste much better. And I could keep going down this chain. There's like yeah. so many things that really help us really zoom in um, and help you find your person. So that ultimately when people use Hinge, they're not even quite sure what it is they like about it. They're just like, it just works better. It just feels better. Or people are just like more authentic or it's my kind of people. That's kind of what they'll say. Um, because of the underlying design decisions that get made to, to make it feel that way. And how about for you personally, how do you consciously cultivate that type of connection in the real world? Uh, I mean, in a, well, one, you know, we're, we're sort of in a community that I think is of friends that, that just have the habits and practices that make people feel connected like when we have dinner right we sit around the table and someone starts a prompt that's just like what's your relationship with death you know? <laughs> like what is uh but it, it like gets us to sh so that i think that's really important i actually just signed um kate and i have some of these practices but we actually just signed a, a love contract between us where we set aside intentional time each week like a thursday night date night and a sunday night um moment where we get together and like discuss any withholdings or issues that we're having in the relationship. And, um, and so that's really important. I mean, I, we see, a we, we both see a person each week, um, sometimes together and sometimes apart, who's sort of a therapist, teacher, mentor person for us that helps us like work through, uh, our own stuff and our stuff together. So I think there's just a, a lot of that so that we really have like opened ourselves up and are seeing and being seen like I talked about. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing it makes me think about is, um, my friend Carter, who started a company called artsy, he introduced oh yeah, me. Carter Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he introduced me to an idea called the context for creativity. Have you ever heard this? Mm -mm. And so it's the, the idea of like, if you look at like the power of context to, to liberate creative expression of, like if, if someone has a, a pen and they, so they have the capacity to create, but it's like, but where, so it's like, even if you give them like an easel and you give them like a piece of paper, it's like that in and of itself is some context for creativity. But then even to say like, paint me a picture. Okay. Where do I start? But then like even more context of paint me a picture of like your favorite childhood memory. And like that, 
any of these prompts can like liberate creative expression and get people to that point more easily. And when I think about it with tribute, we, we think about it as the context for connection of like, even like when people are filming tribute videos and it's the prompts, it's never film a video. It's what do you love about this person? Yeah. It's what's your favorite memory. And I think that something to acknowledge when it comes to setting the context for connection is that you also, there's a risk in it because you are in many cases asking people to go deeper, to be more thoughtful because it's much easier to swipe left or right Yes. to say, you know, what's my favorite movie? Like wedding crashers. Great. You know what I mean? But it's to, to call for that from people. I think it becomes a conscious decision and risk, but ultimately to go there um, because it's like, what, what is the, the perceived risk of that, that people won't be able to meet us there yes. possibly, or the people that you're really going to connect with will want the same level of depth that you do, which is, like almost always the case of like the people yeah. that you're really going to connect with are just waiting for that. So we found, so one of the things that about hinge is we lose more than 20% of people during the signup process, which I mean, when you think about other dating apps, you just hit like log in with whatever. And like, you're like in and you're swiping left and right. And we lose 20% of people because they don't, they don't want to do the work that it, that it takes. And honestly, we view that as a, a feature, not a bug, right? Because like if we're <laughs> shedding the 20% of people who don't even want to put in enough, like they're looking for a relationship and they can't even answer two or three prompts and like add a few photos and say a few things about themselves, then they're not in a place where they're like ready, I don't think, to, to look for a relationship. Another really cool thing that we actually see is some people will put like really short, pithy like responses to the questions and then they'll come in to hinge and they'll see how everyone else is doing it and that they're actually giving like thoughtful, funny, interesting um, uh, responses with depth. And then they'll go back because we actually see that the average response length, the prompts doubles from the time someone signs up to like a week later because they come in, they see the culture and they're like, oh. And so, oh, yeah, we think a lot about how you design that context for creativity, essentially, that you're talking about, that context for intimacy. And I think that's precisely what is so the big missed opportunity for so many of these other apps and services is like they're not designing around the context for intimacy the context for information sharing the context for all this stuff they're just they're just designed around like impressions and time and app yeah and when and one of the one of the pointing things you were telling me before i, I hope you can kind of rearticulate it was again of like when you saw business creating from a similar standpoint in the past and how you feel it's like recreating itself in terms of like interest being kind of maligned between creator and consumer. Mm. Remember what you were saying about that? Just that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think this may be what you're referring to, but I think in like traditional commerce, right. Yeah. It was like a very fair and clear exchange of value. Like I, I have this, I've made this bread. Like you are giving me money for the bread. Like you expect the bread to like fill you up. Like it's a very like simple. And that's like, that's successful commerce. Like it, when that's works, like that's, you know, capitalism at its best. <laughs> but when, um, you actually come for me for one thing and I'm actually selling you another or tricking you into believing in, right. That, um, which I think is a lot of what the, the tech industry is doing. They're selling you like, Oh, come join our app so you can feel more connected. And in fact, they're just making you feel addicted so that they can sell your time to advertisers. Like that's very, um, unfair and I would call it immoral business practices. Yeah. 
And if you were to compare it, like uh, earlier, what I was talking about was when you were comparing it to other business practices, you were looking at like cigarettes. And then, you know, if you were to look at like the low fat food kind of like movement and like packing things with sugar of like packaging something in such a way with a very clear awareness of how it's like negatively impacting your end user, but just masking it and how. Yeah. I mean, I think sugar is a great, I think sugar is even better because even cigarettes, you at least get some sense of it. It's like, especially these days, it's hard for us to relate to like how people thought about cigarettes in the 1950s. But yeah, think about the low fat, the low fat food. It's like healthy, healthy food, except it's like loaded with sugar, which makes your brain light up. And then unconsciously you're always craving like more of that type of food and you're getting hungrier and you keep consuming more of it. Um, and I think we have enough, certainly have enough research at this point to understand that like a uh, high sugar diet is like in no way good for you. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a perfect example, but it's easy to sell because it's low fat and people believe they're like, Oh, okay, well it's low fat then that's good. So if you're, if you're framing this for someone, so you're, you're in this space, but if you're thinking about someone who is just a, a user of these types of technologies and, and like, hasn't been thinking about them, do you, do you have any data around the prevalence of tech addiction kind of in society or any statistics that speak to how it's like impacting people right now? Uh, when we, I don't have any off the top of my head, although I, you can Google this because I think a lot of people actually have started to do studies and it's hard to say because like the definition of addiction, so many people like there's a lot of people out there who don't even believe that you can be addicted to yeah. anything that's not chemical, right? Which I think is totally wrong and insane because like behaviors just create chemicals in your, in your brain. Like mm. your brain doesn't know the difference between snorting a line and like, getting a bunch of Instagram, like it's like, it's just experiencing the reward neurotransmitters. So it doesn't really know the difference, but okay. But I think there's just, there's not a clear understanding of what addiction is, whether I'm addicted. I don't think people really understand my barometer though, is when I look on, like I step onto a subway in New York city and I like literally can't find a head that is not looking at a phone, an entire subway. Um, that tells me that like something is, is up, you know, something's <laughs> like a little weird. Like it's, we're so used to it now, but if you were to pull one of those cigarette smokers from the 1950s to today, they would be like horrified. They'd be like, what is everyone doing? Like what has happened to the world? Why is everyone like walking around staring down at this like little tiny screen? And, and I hope 20 or 30 years from now, or hopefully sooner we can look back on today and be like, Oh my God, like what were we doing? So is the answer, less tech or better tech better tech for sure better tech like i'm not a luddite i I run a tech company Uh, (laughs) but but it's tech where it's engineered around our deeper needs like what i want to see and i and i hope to see and i believe that we will see a social media like as we start to wake up to the fact that our time and attention is being harvested and facebook isn't making us feel good and instagram isn't making us feel good what would a product look like that was actually literally designed around making people feel connected and belonging like, what would that look like? It certainly wouldn't look like um, these apps that they that they look like today, which are, you know, uh, 5 to 10% of people are really truly active posters. Most people are just likers and commenters and engagers. Uh, it's full of ads. Like, you're not sharing your authentic self. Um, it's just like, that. it wouldn't look like that. Yeah. And um, and so I just, I want to see what that, what that product looks like. I think it would be, it would, could, theoretically be amazing so if everything goes right for hinge what is the impact that you've had on the world when all is said and done uh just with hinge yeah well i hope well actually why no it's uh, it felt like there was more there <laughs> well i mean i don't know if, if other people don't 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 get on this like i probably will right like i 
I, I hope to set an example that and, and raise awareness about the difference between designing a product that is designed around the, the deep human need that the person's coming to you for versus um, preying on their vulnerabilities um, and or actually making, you know, covertly making the customer the advertiser or someone else who's not the person that presumably the product is for. And so I hope that we can set off some dominoes yeah. and wake people up to this trend so that we create room for um, other industries to follow suit, whether it's gaming or uh, news. I mean, I think news is one of the most horrific ones that this, that this change has happened to, um, or social media. And I think those are really the most important ones that we have to change. Well, it, I, it feels like you are doing it and just getting started. So I'm appreciative of that work. And, um, I'm fascinated by, I want to flip the script and go to a lighter note here, which is, so how many, how many marriages have you guys kind of cultivated through Hinge now? Uh, I, we don't track the number of marriages, but it's definitely like, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Tens? Really? Yeah. Wow. And then just in terms of like dates, roughly. Oh, uh, uh, like one every like three seconds right now. (laughs) Yeah. That is amazing, man. How does it feel to say that? Um, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. I mean, I just, it's It's funny because sometimes I go back and look at my like investor updates from 2012 and 2013 (laughs) and it's like, we got to 500 users this week and like, (laughs) you know, literally in the, in the early days, every time someone would match, we would like write an email, like hand, like hand, totally. like we had a copywriter who would write the introduction email <laughs> between the two people that matched custom for every single person that matched. Um, so now to think that, you know, we're doing many, many, many of those a second um, is uh, yeah. It's just, I feel like, I don't know, in awe blessed. It's been such a journey and such a ride and it just feels so cool to think that, yeah, I mean, not just because it's not just the relationships, right? It's all the dominoes that fall after those totally. relationships. It's yeah. the way that those people impact each other and the lives that they go lead as a result and the weddings that happen and the people that meet at those weddings. And it's just like, it's just like this cascade of, of change that's rippled through the world that's just unfathomably large. I mean, we've got a presidential candidate right now who's running, uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg, who met his husband on Hinge. And like, if they were to become the first couple, just think about the ramifications that hinge had as a result of, of that. Right. Totally. Like, I mean, wild. Yeah. It's even for, for, I, I oftentimes I only think of like one layer deep when I'm bringing people together, facilitating, but so true. Like to think about that snowball effect of, it's just the first domino. It's just yeah. like literally just the first domino. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. And like, it just, again, that's where we grow is like an intimacy to create that space and like how those people develop and touch other people. It's really, Beautiful, man. And um, so now of these tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of marriages and who knows how many actual dates, what have been like a couple of your favorite or most outrageous matches that have come out of Hinge? Oh, man, we've had like funny stories and beautiful stories. Give me So um, give me one of your favorite funny ones and then one of the most beautiful. Um, I think my... One of the funny ones that we got written back when we were a friends of friends app, um, these two people had gone on a few dates and realized that their mutual friend was this cousin. And when they reached, like, 
but it was like they were like third cousin like second cousins you know they like they, and they like reached out to their mom to be like oh i met this amazing person she's like oh you know that's like so and so so and so is like and realized that they're second like pretty hopefully uh, we caught that one early yeah we got that early we got that, i think it, i don't think it made it past a kiss so um uh that was like the, and i wish i could share like the full because they wrote us this like very funny like three page yeah uh, sure. like it was amazing uh i think some of the other ones that i've seen have been amazing there was um ones where like one guy they they met and very shortly after he was diagnosed with a like pretty serious like spine issue like illness thing and uh and like the fact that like he didn't feel like he would have like made it through without the support and this woman who showed up for him and like came to the hospital and supported the family and did all that stuff even though they'd only been dating for like a month like has been really cool like hearing about um a so a woman who had a lot of trouble finding people on other dating apps because she um, had a prosthetic leg, I think. Mm. And um, and on him, she decided to just like show her full self and let people know from the get go that she had this like that that she had a she was an amputee and had a prosthetic leg, and like found this person and got married. It's just like very just cool to see people that um, we touched to maybe really would have struggled otherwise or if it wasn't at that moment they would have really struggled otherwise it's just been really cool that's amazing man i love love i love everything you're doing and just again bringing awareness to addiction in, in all its forms and using your your platform to to educate and to put it into action it's a beautiful thing man so i'm very grateful for you joining us on the show today um people know where to find the app most certainly and since you're not on the socials how do people keep up with you? Are you writing or are you like, or, you know, is there uh, any way for people to keep up with you or they just have to kind of keep themselves hanging for a little while? I think just hanging for a little while. I, you know, I don't, um, uh, yeah, I don't have any, you, you have to watch hinge right now. <laughs> I think that that's my view into the world. Um, uh, and I'm not sure it won't be forever. Like if I, you know, I just like being able to use, uh, like have the occasional drink, right? Like it's not like, or I, it's not like I don't ever watch Netflix or watch HBO sure. like I do. Um, but I have to be careful like what my motivations are. And, um, and so I'm not saying that there's not a world in which I wouldn't use Instagram, but it's just not on my priority. Yeah, you're just, right you, now. you're just aware of like your values and your goals and that's yeah, not in alignment with it's right, not now. Aligned right now. No, I, I think that again, it's like ultimately like what I'm, what I'm walking away from this from is like, again, it's, like a, a bigger awareness of, again, of how big tech is foundationally created and who it's serving and the need to become more aware of how our behaviors there are aligned or misaligned with our own values and, and goals. And then, you know, again, like just, again, a deeper awareness of like what what addiction is and bringing more awareness to the behaviors in our own life and like where that's at and, and opening up to just again, the possibility that like there are deeper issues and problems that are deserving of attention that we may be masking. And whether that's with, you know, a coffee in the morning or Instagram incessantly or cocaine, yeah. you know, that there's, there's something deeper and creating space for people to, to go there is, is important. And I think what's really important about it is that, like the, it's the, practicality of what it means because i think a lot of people are like oh well okay i'm asking my like i don't care to do like deeper work and understand like who cares like i'm i'm fine and i think that again when the when the opposite of addiction is freedom 
and what it's really doing is inhibiting you. Like when you have to spend so much time and energy, like relieving yourself from these unpleasant sensations, then you no longer have the time and energy to devote to like unleashing like a bigger life that, that you probably dream of, or if you don't once dreamed of. (laughs) And, um, and I think that that's the real tragedy that I hope people wake up to. Yeah. It's like, I've heard an even behavior change, like the idea of like rather than trying to stop doing something of like trying to start doing something like new and like creating more freedom for myself to do that thing. That's a, that's a huge, I mean, and again, that was a huge piece of my journey. It wasn't just stopping doing the stuff and even the subtler and subtler and subtler stuff. As I did that, I realized, Oh, I have to start filling back up because if I'm not constantly thinking about like where I'm going to get my next drink and where I'm going to go get a coffee and where I'm, what food I'm going to go eat and all that stuff. Now I've got all this free time. Like I had so much, everyone feels so busy these days. I think it's because we're just nursing all our addictions. Like yeah. if you actually stop, if you cut out all those overstimulating behaviors, you'll find yourself like highly bored <laughs> and like not feeling busy at all. And then you've got to figure out like, what are the purposeful things that I want to start filling up my life? Yeah. Beautiful. Well, Justin, anything else that you would like people to know before we bring this thing to a close? No, I think we've hit it. I think we nailed it, man. Well, dude, I loved having you on. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for your contribution creation. And I'm very excited to see what happens next. Great. Thanks a lot. Adios.